2: It's Saturday, January 7th, 2023, the 717th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that, usually, is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you'll be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, keep listening to the podcast for free a couple of days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the social media, the writing, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So I don't usually make episodes on Saturdays, but the live stream on Thursday that went on for like eight hours or whatever it was, made it impossible for me to record an episode on Thursday. And because of the long weekend last weekend, I didn't record one on Monday. I was feeling guilty. Plus, what an incredible week we just had. My mind was absolutely blown in multiple ways last night. And so I want to walk you through this last week and try to make you understand where I'm coming from. And many of you might not be able to make it all the way there. And that's okay. Maybe I'm crazy. I'm not, but maybe I am. Maybe I am. But for now, let's assume I'm not. I'm going to try to paint a big picture of what I saw take place this week. And you can decide for yourself whether or not I'm crazy. Maybe you'll be like, I think he's on to something, but I just, ah, I don't know. I can't, I can't get totally on board with that. Totally fine. I'm going to talk about some slightly esoteric stuff today. And it's a Saturday. It's an unusual day. We had a big, long week full of events. So we're going to have a different approach today. And we're just going to see how it goes. And if you can get on board with me, Wonderful. But before we get into what happened this week, I want to set the table a little bit. So a couple of weeks ago, Donald Trump released a five or six minute long video where he made essentially what was a presidential policy statement. And it's considered to be a campaign statement. This is his campaign officially beginning him laying out his agenda for his next term as he's recognized as president of the United States of America, when he is inaugurated again, he is going to execute on this agenda. He started out with a great statement, a multi-step plan to restore free speech to its proper place in American society, American government, and American law. Because as we are seeing in the Twitter files and throughout the last three years, The American government has been involved with the legacy big tech companies and other corporate entities and other bodies in censoring Americans' political speech specifically, co-opting these companies, the big tech companies in particular, and making them agents of the state. The government is delegating the direct violation of our most basic constitutional rights and human rights Two companies. They are working the government in conjunction with corporate interests in order to oppress the people and consolidate power in a prior age that was known as fascism. Now, of course, fascism means whatever other leftists don't like, because, of course, fascism is born out of leftism. It's born out of Marxism. Fascism is not a right wing ideology and cannot be the right wing pushes toward anarchy. The left wing pushes toward full authoritarian government control, government control versus anarchy. That is the spectrum from right to left. So fascism cannot be on the right, nor can Nazism, nor can communism, nor can socialism. They are all part of the same ideology. They are all present and we can see them functioning in the world today. And they are all aligned with one another as they pursue those interests through those different ideological lenses. So that was the middle of December. Here is a summary of what Trump proposed in that short policy video he put out and his campaign also released a graphic that notes the key points. And so I'm just going to share that. Decisive leadership from day one. This is what Trump is going to do. Ban federal agencies from colluding to censor American citizens. Ban taxpayer dollars from being used to label speech as mis or disinformation. Fire every federal bureaucrat who has engaged in domestic censorship. That's a whole lot of people. Stop federal funding for all nonprofits and academic programs engaged in censorship. That's a whole lot of nonprofits and a whole lot of universities. Suspend so federal dollars to any university that has engaged in censorship support activities. Now, you can imagine that a great many universities had the same sorts of portals that we see the government had. I've said many times on this podcast. Celebrities, people with social media managers in and around the entertainment industry, they have those portals. Media organizations have those portals. Universities naturally would have them as well. They submit requests to have certain speech taken down. Anyone doing that from a university, well, now you've lost your federal funding. Order the DOJ to investigate all parties involved in online censorship regime and prosecute any and all crimes identified. That's wonderful. Revise Section 230 to drastically curtail big platforms power to restrict lawful speech. Enact criminal penalties for federal bureaucrats who partner with private entities to violate your constitutional rights. And that doesn't just say the First Amendment, by the way, because, of course, these big tech companies and many other companies are also violating your Fourth Amendment rights by the illegal seizure of your data and gaining access to private information about you without a warrant. Impose a seven-year cooling-off period before former intel and national security officials can work at big tech platforms. Great. We know for a fact people from the law enforcement state and the intelligence community have been going back and forth between the tech companies and government send preservation letters to Biden administration and big tech giants immediately and pass a digital bill of rights. So these are wonderful priorities in order to restore free speech in America and end the government's collaboration with the tech companies and transnational corporations to violate not only your constitutional rights, but your basic human rights. Donald Trump's delivery in that video was extremely presidential and extremely authoritative. It wasn't about if I am reelected. It was when I am inaugurated. And he was essentially saying, here is what is going to happen in the future. Take it or leave it. You might think, well, he hasn't even he hasn't even gotten through the primaries yet. And, you know, there's that Ron DeSantis challenge. And I just hear John Bolton's thinking of running for president. And oh, Mike Pompeo, he's thinking about presenting a presidential challenge. And then there's always Mike Pence. There's Nikki Haley. There could be candidates just coming out of the woodwork to run against Donald Trump. Oh, and the wheels could fall off by then. He's probably not even going to be the nominee. Sure, Kami, you haven't figured it out yet, but sure, that's cool. He's not going to be the nominee. I guess we'll just see what happens in the future. But if you're going to rid yourself of that ridiculous notion, and move forward in your understanding, then one might wonder why by now you haven't caught on to what is happening. Donald Trump is not making these things up. He's not just talking smack to the public. See that? I use nice words. He's stating what's going to happen. And he's doing so in a very presidential tone. Now, I'm refreshing your memory on all this because Donald Trump put out another statement like that this week, this time specifically addressing the problem of the drug cartels. And I'm going to play the whole clip. It's about five minutes or so long. I think it's important for everyone to hear it. And while you're listening, do two things. First of all, listen to Trump's tone and see if he sounds like he is telling people, here's what's going to happen. Here's what I need you to do. Hey, nation, this is what's going on. Does he sound presidential? And the other thing is to keep an expansive view of what exactly he might be describing when he's talking about drug cartels and drug traffickers. Is he referring only to the Mexican cartels running the slave trade at the southern border? So keep that in mind and here's the clip.
1: Fentanyl, heroin, meth and other lethal drugs are pouring across our wide open border, stealing hundreds of thousands of beautiful American lives. And it's happening like never before in our history. Children are being left without parents. Families are being ripped apart. Communities are being decimated. Our neighbors and fellow citizens are having their entire worlds destroyed destroyed like nobody thought possible. Our country is being poisoned from within by the drugs and by all of the other crime that's taking place. The drug cartels are waging war in America, and it's now time for America to wage war on the cartels. In this war, Joe Biden is sided against the United States and with the cartels. They are making more money than they've ever made before times 10. There's never been anything like it. They're major, major companies. They're bigger than even some of our biggest companies. Biden's open border policies are a deadly betrayal of our nation. When I am president, it will be the policy of the United States to take down the cartels, just as we took down ISIS and the ISIS caliphate. And just as unlike the situation we're in today, we had a very, very strong border, the strongest border, in fact, in the history of our country, and drugs were at a low of 45 years. There's been nothing like what we did just two years ago. We will show no mercy on the cartels. Every day, drug traffickers are using the waters of our region to ship their lethal poisons to America, killing so many of our people and ruining families. In addition to restoring strong border security, I will deploy all necessary military assets, including the U.S. Navy, to impose the full naval embargo on the cartels. I did that before, and it worked. What we did was incredible. We will guarantee that the waters of the Western Hemisphere are not used to traffic illicit drugs to our country. Furthermore, I will order the Department of Defense to make appropriate use of special forces, cyber warfare, and other overt and covert actions to inflict maximum damage on cartel leadership, infrastructure and operations. I will designate the major cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. We will sever their access to global financial systems. I will also work to forge an unprecedented partnership with neighboring governments in our region, just like I did in Mexico. And remember, in Mexico alone, an estimated 100,000 civilians have been tragically murdered or gone missing at the hands of these cartels. The Mexican government, run by a very fine man, the president is really working hard, but it's not working out. These cartels are vicious and they're violent, and they have Mexico for now stymied. Well, we have to help Mexico, and we have to stymie The cartels. Either we will get the full cooperation of other governments to stop this menace, or we will expose every bribe, every kickback, every payoff, and every bit of corruption that is allowing the cartels to preserve their brutal reign, and it is indeed brutal. Finally, as I have said before, I will ask Congress to pass legislation ensuring that drug smugglers and human traffickers receive the death penalty. The drug cartels and their allies in the Biden administration have the blood of countless millions on their hands. Millions and millions of families and people are being destroyed. When I'm back in the White House, the drug kingpins and vicious traffickers will never sleep soundly again. We did it once and we did it better than anybody else. There's never been a better border than we had just two years ago. It was strong, it was powerful, and it was respected all over the world. And now we're laughed at all over the world. And we're not going to let that happen much longer. We have to take over. We have to be tough. We have to be smart. We have to be fair. But if we don't do something immediately, our country is gone.
2: So he is directly addressing a severe problem. In our society right now and in the world right now, and he is being clear and authoritative and he is laying out what must be done to fix this problem and begin to rid the world of this problem. He said we will partner with other governments if they refuse, then we will expose all of the kickbacks and the corruption and everything else. We are going to force this thing to happen worldwide or else. And that's critical because we know what's happening is coordinated globally. If CCP fentanyl is shipped beneath our southern border and then trafficked into our country in partnership with the illegitimate administration, that is the illegitimate administration, the cartels and the CCP partnering on the poisoning of America. It is being allowed right now. That includes everybody. And that's not the only direction that drugs are flowing into our country. It's not the only way that drugs are flowing into other countries. And you can imagine that there are leaders around the world, particularly the ones who Trump has formed alliances with, who are going to be on board with this agenda. If other leaders don't want to get on board, then they can be exposed as corrupt parts of this international cartel and they can be dealt with appropriately. It's also quite clear from the end of that clip that Donald Trump's not talking about doing this starting in January 2025. He's talking about doing it now. He says it must begin immediately. Does that sound like political campaign speech? And of course it doesn't. It's absurd to think otherwise. He promised Naval blockades, special forces, military assets, all assets deployed to inflict maximum damage on these cartels. It also turns out that the Mexican army is waging war on their cartels beneath our southern border right now. And there's a great clip from Colonel Douglas McGregor on Tucker Carlson the other night. Well worth watching. You can find that on your own, but I'm not going to play it here. So we have an active cartel war already going. Donald Trump is promising to deploy all assets to confront the cartels and saying it should be done immediately. So that was Thursday. Yesterday, Donald Trump puts this out on Truth Social. All Republican governors should immediately begin the process of ending mail-in ballots, which are fraught with corruption and always will be, except for faraway military and people with a proven illness getting voter ID and same day voting with all paper ballots. This effort should be all out and start immediately. Governors have the power and authority to do this, get it done, or we will never have honest elections in our country again. Does he sound like he's joking? That is a fully authoritative statement about what Republican governors must do right now. That sounds like a direct order, From a person operating as president, does it not? Now, hey, you can take my impression of that statement and my impression of the agenda for censorship and the statement on the cartels in whatever way you like. Okay, if you don't think Donald Trump sounds like he knows what he's doing, he doesn't sound authoritative, he doesn't sound commanding, he doesn't sound like he's in control, then hey, it's your world to interpret as you see fit. But if you're doing it because you don't think anything that you're not aware of could be going on, if you still think that Donald Trump is probably a stupid fool who's just bumbling around being guided by his ego and all his insecurities and trying to get revenge on all the people you think have wronged him. Well, again, I don't know what to tell you if the last seven and a half years have brought you. To the same place you were seven and a half years ago, which is believing the TV's version of Donald Trump. That's something I can't help you with. Now, a lot of people, when they hear that Donald Trump might have some level of control over what's going on right now, end up with a lot of questions because it doesn't look like that, right? We look around society We look at what the media says. We look at the fake president in office. We look at all the illegitimate politicians around the country sitting in their offices, changing laws that affect our lives, changing policies, pushing the woke nonsense, pushing the trans nonsense, pushing terrible policies, the Ukraine war, the inflation, the immigration, all of it. If Donald Trump had a level of control, why this, why this, why this, why this? And I understand those questions, Okay, I understand those questions. There aren't answers that are going to satisfy everybody right now. It is ultimately a matter of where you are going to put your trust and your belief and your faith. And I'm not saying that you need to put faith in Donald Trump. I am not saying that. I'm saying that you should not simply accept the answer you are given because you can't find another answer that satisfies all your questions and curiosities. That's just not how life works on any level. You are never going to have all the answers to everything. That doesn't mean that you are not allowed to believe things that you think are right, that you believe you know are right, that you can substantiate in significant ways, particularly when the story you're given that's competing with the story you are concerned about accepting or believing is a story you know to be wrong you don't have to know exactly what the right answer is in a way that you can prove to each and every person in the world to know that their version is wrong. You don't actually need to be able to replace all the false stories with true stories. You just need to know the false stories are false. Hey, it's definitely not that. So what else could it be? Well, let's think about the options. Am I convinced about any of them? Well, no, I'm not convinced about any of them yet, but I know it's not that first option. So it's got to be one of these, or maybe it's an option that I haven't thought of yet, but all of these are more plausible than the story I was given that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt to be wrong. Not only because it doesn't make sense, not only because it doesn't map onto reality, but because I'm being told this story by people I know to be liars by people I know to be corrupt, to be criminals, to be evil, to be operating in a way that proves they do not have good intentions for me. And so you can reject those things and think about what it is that might be true, knowing that you're never going to be 100% certain. You have to find a way to walk through the world in a productive way for yourself, and your beliefs are going to be part of that. So, how you form beliefs is critical, and that's going to be up to you as an individual person. You do not have to believe me. I don't want you to believe me. You're welcome to believe me. You're welcome to agree with me. I always welcome people who agree with me. But you don't have to. What I want is for each and every person, whoever hears the sound of my voice, to think for themselves. We don't have to come to the same position ultimately. We have different backgrounds. We started in different places. We have different interests. We have different levels of understanding about a whole variety of subjects. We have different educational experiences. Maybe you were more indoctrinated in the central narrative than I was. Maybe I was more indoctrinated in the central narrative than you are. So when we both look at the same thing, we are going to automatically have different perspectives because we're different people with different experiences, and those experiences help make up our perspective and how we're going to view and interpret things. So I don't care if we always come to the same conclusions, but I do care that we can both agree that the central narrative is a lie. It is a story about a false reality that we are coerced into believing because it benefits the people telling the story and it always has. And I've written extensively on this. You can go to the Substack; All of the writing on there at this point is free. If you want to take the time, go read what I've written about it or don't entirely up to you. The point is, I'm not trying to make you think what I think. I just want you to think for yourself and then find it in yourself have the confidence to say, I know this is right. I don't know it's objectively right in a way that I can prove to everyone, but this is what I'm going with because this makes the most sense to me. This maps onto reality, this belief system, this thought, this perspective on a given issue maps onto reality for me. This helps me move through the world in my effort to understand better. So if you're able to consider that Donald Trump might have some additional level of control over what's happening in the world beyond what is communicated to us by the television and beyond what we're used to after having lived decades in the false reality, then you might begin to consider exactly what that looks like. How would it play out? Are there hints that we can take from the world That might show us that's true. And so let's discuss this week and keep this in the back of your mind. Donald Trump seems to be in control in his messaging. He is communicating in an authoritative voice about what must be done in the short, medium and long terms. He is saying when I am inaugurated, he is not asking for people's votes. He is telling them this is what is going to happen accept it, or don't. We will return to Donald Trump in just one second, but it is worth mentioning what we saw on Monday, okay? Sunday last week, New Year's Day. That is the traditional end of the American holiday season that starts around Thanksgiving and ends right after New Year's. And depending on your religious beliefs, the calendar might differ for you, but that is the broadly culturally accepted, secular understanding of the American holiday season. So the holidays end, the long weekend extends into Monday, Monday evening, Monday night football, big AFC matchup, first quarter, a player collapses on the field, and immediately a conversation begins about whether or not this was vaccine-related. Now, the stories are telling us, that that player, DeMar Hamlin, has come to and that he has spoken. And we will see how all of that pans out. Leave that aside for now. Everyone can understand that a major cultural conversation began this week where people who have denied that the vaccines are even potentially deadly. And I know not a vaccine. But the people who have spent two years denying that there's anything at all wrong with the experimental therapy that doesn't prevent infection, transmission, serious illness or death and does have extraordinarily high numbers of negative side effects just might not be very safe and effective. The conversation is now mainstream. It is unavoidable. They can't just yell and scream and put their fingers in their ears and pretend that the conversation's not happening. It is happening. It doesn't matter what we are ultimately told by the television about DeMar Hamlin. The conversation is now in full swing and it's not going away because people are now looking at the numbers. People are looking at the facts. This research actually has been done. And the pharma companies knew about it before distributing the product. So that is sparking its own mass awakening. That's how we started out on Monday. And then Tuesday, we get into the Speaker of the House race. Now, remember, throughout this time, Donald Trump has been consistent in his support of Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House. It is up to us to interpret what he means It is up to us to make our judgments about whether or not we think that's a good idea. I was pretty clear this week that I did not think it was a good idea. And what I said was Donald Trump could have made this endorsement even if he did not want Kevin McCarthy to be the Speaker of the House because him having his hands on whoever might be the Speaker instead would have put up various roadblocks by the media, and by those in the House or in the government or in the regime who might want to thwart that plan. But for Trump's part, he has consistently said that he thinks Kevin McCarthy deserves a shot. He did not waver in his support of McCarthy this week. And as we all can see now, he stayed with McCarthy and has expressed his happiness about how the race ended up And Kevin McCarthy is now the speaker. So we get into the voting on Tuesday. There are 20 Republicans opposing Kevin McCarthy being voted in as House Speaker. They have a long list of demands. They're going to negotiate. They're trying to get their demands met. And many of them are saying, I will not vote for Kevin McCarthy no matter what. They were a hard no. Kevin McCarthy was not going to get their vote. They had enough votes among them to stop McCarthy from winning unless some plan was hatched with Democrats where Democrats would enable Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker. Democrats did not participate at all in helping McCarthy become Speaker. But that wasn't all that was happening. At the same time, It was reported that Kevin McCarthy had moved his things into the speaker's office and Matt Gates came out saying that Kevin McCarthy was squatting in the speaker's office. He has no idea what would allow someone to occupy that office without actually being speaker. And there were a few storylines like this stuff that just sounded so strange But was also one of those things that you just think about and say, well, you know, these people, there is nothing they won't do. So it doesn't surprise me if someone like Kevin McCarthy, a product of the corrupt Washington system, would do something like that. We saw Nancy Pelosi abuse the position of Speaker of the House in countless ways. And for all the talk over the years about how Donald Trump was destroying our norms, we've seen the actual destruction of our norms from members of the regime over and over and over and over again throughout this period. The country learned a lot this week about how the House had been run compared to how the House was supposed to be run. But forget about all that stuff. Forget about the fake impeachments. Forget about Adam Schiff colluding with law enforcement and intel to take stories that he had supposedly heard based on good evidence in private intel committee meetings and then leaking it out to the press or going on TV himself and making a bunch of factual claims on the basis of intelligence he supposedly learned, but nonetheless could not share And all those claims turned out to be false and forget about. Eric Swalwell having sex with a Chinese spy and still sitting on the Intel Committee. It was Donald Trump who was violating all of our norms. So we're going through this period and Kevin McCarthy is just not getting the vote. And so many of the rhinos went out on television and talked about how these 20 dissenters are terrorists. And the people supporting them and telling them, hold the line. Those people are terrorists, too. We already know about all the MAGA domestic extremists. They called us insurgents and rebels and infidels this week, and it just kept going. So they had three failed votes for McCarthy on Tuesday, 20 dissenters through each of the first three rounds, and we come back on Wednesday at noon and start the voting again. After we've heard there have been negotiations and we get 20 dissenters through the next three rounds, four, five and six on Wednesday, 20 dissenters. Except on Wednesday, Victoria Spartz, the Ukrainian-American representing Indiana, votes present for those three rounds. People are like, why are you voting present? And she said, because I believe this process should be handled behind closed doors. It should be figured out back there. We should come out and do the vote. Once we're ready to elect a speaker, we are wasting everyone's time. And we hear about how, these representatives are wasting the taxpayer money. You're being paid to be at work and you're not working because apparently it's not the work of the people to elect a speaker. You're just supposed to choose whoever the establishment wants and put that person in as speaker with no work done whatsoever. Like everything else in the Congress for years now, you're simply supposed to show up so that you can give the power of your vote over to whatever the regime tells you you must do. So after the 3 rounds of voting on Wednesday, they adjourned until the evening. They came back in the evening without a deal reached, did not even bother voting and proposed adjournment again, and then after some bickering and arguing and switching of votes, they went ahead with the adjournment and that was it for Wednesday. Thursday, we get a marathon day. 5 total votes. And at that point, 11 are in the book. Kevin McCarthy has won zero of them. Hakeem Jeffries has won zero of them. Everything is essentially deadlocked. We still have 20 dissenters with Sparts still voting present and a few people missing. And what was visible to us and to the public and presented by media was that there was a lot of contentiousness coming up We've heard a lot of insults this week from people like Ipatch McCain, Dan Crenshaw, who apparently does not like being called Eyepatch McCain and said so on cable news. So what do you call Dan Crenshaw now? Only Eyepatch McCain. That's how the deal works. Dan Crenshaw made us an offer and we gladly accept your offer. Okay, Dan, you don't like being called Eyepatch McCain. Now we will only call you Eyepatch McCain. By this point, we were being told that the fact that the speaker hadn't been placed in office was a threat to national security. National security was being threatened by our Congress not being able to work for a few days when our Congress generally doesn't work for a few days every single week, followed by a few more days of not working that week until the week is over. And they just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And there was a particularly interesting angle with that whole national security narrative because people like Ted Lieu and Adam Schiff were getting upset that they wouldn't be able to receive intel briefings. Now, preventing people like Ted Lieu and Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell from receiving intel briefings is not a threat to national security. But maybe it's a threat to their own personal security somehow. Like, maybe they are in their position to facilitate an exchange of intel through the government and our intel organizations and, of course, the global regime. And then they'll use that intel that they are supposedly getting to go out on television and lie to the American people. Not getting intel briefings, I guess makes it harder for them to do that. These are people who shouldn't even have security clearances. Now, throughout this time, there are a bunch of rumors about how the negotiations are going. There seems to be a deal on the table. We are awaiting sign off. A lot of the pieces are in place. And over the week, we heard about a bunch of the pieces of the deal, things that they wanted out of the rules package, certain ways that committees were going to be handled. And we'll go over some of that in a little bit. But the deal talk began heating up on Friday and it seemed like there was going to potentially be some sort of capitulation to the establishment. They would agree and take this deal. We would have to trust them that it's okay, even though there wasn't a whole lot of presentation of that deal to the American public so they could weigh in and say, yes, this is the deal we actually want. But on the flip side of that, We do know that there are top people involved in negotiating that deal, ones who are absolutely on our side. And I think by the end of this episode, you'll probably agree that these were Donald Trump's priorities that were implemented in this agenda. But aside from that, there were even people like Russ Vaught working on the negotiations, and that should be reassuring to some degree. So we get to the voting on Friday with the idea that a deal may have been reached, but We might be able to drag this process out and negotiate to an even better position or finally get Kevin McCarthy to relent and step aside and let someone else put their name forward in a serious way without any interference and get a vote for potentially a MAGA Speaker of the House. But that was not to be on the first vote on Friday. This is round 12 now. 13 out of the 20 dissenters switched their vote to Kevin McCarthy. And in the little speech that some of them gave when announcing their vote, they noted that their new vote, their new position, the vote for Kevin McCarthy was based on the negotiations that they had had and that they were casting that vote in good faith with the full knowledge that if anything reversed in terms of the negotiations, they are willing to rescind their vote and go back to their prior position. So that's round 12. Round 13, one more of the dissenters joins the McCarthy contingent, that being Andy Harris. So now they've got 14 of the 20 dissenters back in the McCarthy camp. There are only six of the dissenters remaining. All of them cast their vote for Jim Jordan. The six... Andy Biggs, Lauren Boebert, Eli Crane, Matt Gates, Bob Good, and Matt Rosendale. So after these two rounds of votes, the clear message to the public is this deal has been reached according to these 14 of the dissenters. They are all accepting of this deal. The other six are not there yet. We want more out of this, and we're not sure what more they were asking for at that point. It may well have been nothing, but they weren't going along. They were firmly in the camp of never Kevin and things at this point looked to be at a standstill. So they adjourned until the evening and planned on coming back at 10 p.m. Eastern. Now, that's pretty late. And my first thought was, why are they trying to do this in the dark of night? Is there something they don't want the American people to see? Is this going to be a disaster tonight? But as always, you've got to wait and see. So the evening shows on Fox and Hannity in particular featured a bunch of the dissenters. And something that was repeated throughout Hannity was something that Lauren Boebert hinted at on Wednesday, which was that the final vote might come on Monday. And throughout Hannity's show, the catchphrase was basically Monday at the latest. Usually when things are hinted at in that way, so specifically and repeatedly, there's often something there, but sometimes it's misdirection. Now, there was a really interesting piece of the Matt Gates interview that evening, and I'm going to play that for you right here.
3: Matt Gates, where are you tonight? Well, Sean, this has never been about me or Kevin McCarthy. It's about the American people. And the American people want to know that the rules of the House of Representatives would never allow something like this terrible, horrendous, omnibus bill to ever pass ever again. And that's what Congresswoman Boebert and I have been working on. And while I know that sometimes these discussions can be a little awkward up front, I guess it's, I guess it's like a prenuptial agreement that you'd be preparing. Sometimes there can be some uncomfortable moments in the preparation, but it can be necessary. I am excited All and encouraged. Only, I am grateful that Speaker-Designate McCarthy has been so receptive to each and every change that we have demanded. And Sean, we're at the stage right now where I'm running out of stuff to ask for. I mean, read the bills, have a balanced budget, have a border plan. Kevin McCarthy is agreeing to all these things. And again, it's never been about him. It's been about draining the swamp, making this a more honest, transparent, open place. And we may have a few finishing touches. We may be able to get this resolved tonight. But I am proud of the entire Republican conference. And we're going to be stronger and more unified and more able to hold this administration accountable because we have had these early moments of sorting things out.
2: Now, that is not only a complete shift in tone from Matt Gates in regards to Kevin McCarthy. He also said something really interesting there. Kevin McCarthy has implemented all the changes that we asked him for, and we're running out of things to ask for. He said it's not about Kevin McCarthy. It's never been about Kevin McCarthy. And that's pretty interesting because the indication throughout the week was that it was about Preventing Kevin McCarthy from being the next speaker because he represents the establishment, because he represents the old way of doing things. But Gates was also clear, and many of them have been clear throughout the week, that they are trying to restore the house to the way the house is supposed to work. And I've said on this podcast, a lot of the things they're asking for are just things that should be normal there and aren't normal because of how the system has been infiltrated and changed and manipulated and abused. But keep that line in mind. Matt Gates said they were running out of things to ask for. The deal, as far as we know, was basically set into place on Friday morning. And that is what convinced those 14 dissenters to move over into the McCarthy column. Unless I missed it, there wasn't much word about what else the six remaining dissenters might be looking for in order to go ahead and give their consent to McCarthy becoming the next speaker. And Matt Gates certainly didn't say that the afternoon adjournment before coming back in the evening, that they had achieved some new step in the dealmaking process he didn't announce our negotiations have worked and we're willing to move forward tonight. From what Matt Gates said, it seemed like they were basically at the same point as they were when they adjourned. So they get back in the evening and we go to round 14. And my expectation at that point was that it probably would go to Monday. It had been hinted at a bunch of times. All it would take is the six dissenters. Dissenting again. And it would be clear that a deal was not to be had on Friday evening. But the vote begins. And a few minutes in Lauren Bobert votes present. She switches her vote from an anti McCarthy vote to the neutral position, which is present. And we're waiting and we're waiting. And Matt Gates comes up and Gates is nowhere to be found. And he waits until after the vote is over to also announce that he is voting present. Now, with the return of Representatives Buck and Hunt, Kevin McCarthy was only one vote shy of becoming speaker in that round of voting. Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert had voted present, which indicated that they were Maybe helping the McCarthy cause, but no one else would go with McCarthy, so maybe Gates or Bobert would flip, they would go to McCarthy. it would all be over. and that began a really, really interesting point of the night. Kevin McCarthy walked over to Matt Gates, and we don't know what was said at this point, but there was some sort of heated exchange. Matt Gates kept pointing at himself and then pointing for Kevin McCarthy to go back down into the well and either continue the process with another vote that looks like it would fail again or motion to adjourn. So there was a heated exchange there. In the meantime, Mike Rogers from Alabama came over into that area and began yelling at Gates and kind of being physically imposing until he was eventually pulled away, partially by his face, by Representative Richard Hudson. And that moment became immediately controversial. Newsweek posted an article Saturday morning indicating that that particular video, the video of that little skirmish and Hudson pulling Rogers away, had already been viewed 2.1 million times. So this clip of what happened in the House chamber is going viral. The deranged communist Alejandro Caraballo, who for some reason has a large Twitter profile, even while being wrong about everything all of the time, including two pretty notable instances. One with the Club Q gay nightclub shooting in Colorado a few weeks ago, and then just a week or so ago with the Andrew Tate pizza boxes. She also is one of those strange people that blocks absolutely everybody before they ever even see her page, maybe from a block list or something. But I'm not able to look at this woman's page. Not that I'm currently allowed on Twitter. She wrote, Representative Hudson grabbed Representative Mike Rogers by the face after he confronted Matt Gates. This happened right after Kevin McCarthy also confronted Matt Gates." First physical altercation on the floor of the House since 1985. Complete meltdown. So the regime media blue and on communists think they are dunking on the Republican dissenters and the Republican Party in general. She's trying to score points by cementing the narrative that the Republican conference is an absolute clown show. Everything's going wrong. This has all been so embarrassing for them. And of course, it's embarrassing for Donald Trump because anything that happens ever is always spun in a way that makes it look like it's bad for Donald Trump. So a motion to adjourn is called. We go through the time limit, 15 minutes, and then people get to change their votes pretty much whenever they want until everybody has decided they're done changing. And then they just give a result. Makes you wonder why they have the time limit in the first place. But hey. I don't run Congress. Maybe it's just a suggested time limit. Now we get down toward the end of that vote. Republicans are mostly voting yay. Democrats are exclusively voting nay. But there are a few nays on the Republican side. And right down near the end, a few more nays come in and a few more nays come in. And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of nays have come in. So, The House will not be adjourned. They're going to do one more vote. Now, let's keep that moment in mind, too, because it was very odd. Are they going to adjourn? The entire Republican Party seems to agree. Yes, we want to adjourn, except for a few people. And then at the end, everything completely flips and a big chunk of the Republican conference decides that they, too, want to stay in session and have another vote. Now, while that vote is occurring, Marjorie Taylor Greene posts a photo and the photo is quite interesting itself because of how it looks It's shot from a high angle, which means it was probably shot from the balcony, the gallery area above the house floor. And the composition of the photo makes it look pretty clearly like it's not from a cell phone camera, like it's from a professional camera maybe media up there or whatever. And the photo is Marjorie Taylor Greene holding out her iPhone toward Representative Matt Rosendale as Matt Rosendale keeps his hand up, denying the phone. Now, on the phone, you can see very clearly the letters DT. This is Donald Trump calling Marjorie Taylor Greene. He's calling Marjorie Taylor Greene to say, let's get this done Matt Rosendale is saying, I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to take this call from President Trump right now. Now That would be a very odd thing for Matt Rosendale to do unless he was already saying, oh, I got it. Yeah, cool. Now it's over. All right. Tell the president we're good to go and let's get this thing done. But that, of course, is not how it was presented and it's not how it looks right away. How it looks right away is that Matt Rosendale doesn't care about Donald Trump's phone call and he is going to do what he believes is right. And if his prior 14 votes were any indication, he is going to remain obstinate and not vote for Kevin McCarthy. So the voting is already in process at this point. And as the voting goes on and the dissenters each come up, each is now voting present and their votes are as present, are going to enable Kevin McCarthy to win the election for House Speaker with only 215 votes because they will have reduced the total votes from 434 to 428. At 428, you only need 214 plus one to become Speaker. And in the prior round, since Gates and Boebert voted present, That means the total number of votes would be 532. Kevin McCarthy would need 217. He only got 216. But with the whole group voting present, those 216 votes actually do constitute a majority, which pushed Kevin McCarthy over the top. Kevin McCarthy has won and become the Speaker of the House. Now, I looked at this photo and thought, What an odd photo. This photo looks pretty clearly staged. Either that or this media photographer caught the absolute perfect moment with the absolute perfect angle of Marjorie Taylor Greene holding her phone up so that the phone directly faces the camera and has Matt Rosendale's hands next to it saying, no, I'm not going to take the phone call from the president. DT right there on the screen. Now, why would this photo be staged? Well, this photo has gone pretty viral, and it's the sort of photo that communists really don't know how to handle. And because they interpret everything through Donald Trump is bad, what are they going to latch on to here? They're going to latch on to Matt Rosendale not respecting Donald Trump. He doesn't want to answer the president's phone call. He's going to do what he wants to do. Donald Trump has no influence over them. So they want to spread that around. And over the course of the night and the weekend, that picture has certainly been seen by millions and millions of Americans. They are familiar with this image. They know that Donald Trump called Marjorie Taylor Greene and was working to get Kevin McCarthy elected that night in that round. The game is over. Let's do it now. Now, what sort of thing could Donald Trump say to these dissenters that would convince them? To go ahead and vote present and let this process end. Well, I don't know, of course, but I think the likeliest answer is that he said this is a win. We have gotten everything we asked for. Kevin's the guy. We're not going to get anything else. Our negotiation has been extremely successful. You have to take the win. This is a win. Take the win. This is a good win. Now, naturally, there were many of us who didn't want to see this at all. We didn't want Kevin McCarthy there. Kevin McCarthy is a representation of the swamp and the D.C. corruption. That is specifically what people in our movement are looking to remove from the American government. But you have to take the next step. Besides just the personalities and that priority, it actually does matter what they were able to get from these negotiations and how what it was they were able to negotiate is going to change the house as an institution, perhaps resetting it to its proper form as part of a constitutional republic and not just a body organized to facilitate the corruption of the global regime. Now, we'll probably talk a little bit more about the rules package in a future episode, because there's a lot there to go through, but there are some pretty significant changes, some that have been widely noted, requiring bills to be released 72 hours before a vote on the House floor, a path to balance the budget within the next 10 years, having mandatory spending cuts to match any spending increases, and as Matt Gates mentioned before, Measures put in place to make sure that nothing like the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending package that was just passed in the lame duck session ever happens again. But the thing that people have paid the most attention to appears in subsection Q of the rules package and involves a single vote motion to vacate the House Speaker's chair. So if a member comes up and says... I motion for the chair to be vacated. The entire house has to resolve that issue before doing anything else. As I said, we'll do more on the rules package. I'm sure it's going to come up more in the future. They are supposed to be voting on it on Monday. And also on Monday, they are supposed to be voting about whether to initiate a church style select committee to investigate the American government's weaponization against the American people. That is really going to be something. So if the rules package passes and this select committee passes, that's pretty substantial stuff, particularly with the changes made to the rules committee and the fact that there will be America First representatives on that committee. So the deal itself, the way I'm looking at it right now, Seems like it is a really good deal. Maybe they were just able to restore the House of Representatives to what it should be in a constitutional republic. Maybe they have seized it back from the global regime and ultimately that will be left for your interpretation and to see what happens in the future based on whatever new information we begin to receive. But Kevin McCarthy won, everybody has a big round of applause, and then for some awful reason, Hakeem Jeffries is tasked with the responsibility of handing Kevin McCarthy his speaker's gavel, the minority leader, giving it to the new Speaker of the House, and Hakeem Jeffries takes the opportunity to give a never-ending speech, and his speech was absolutely awful filled with just blatant lies and falsehoods, attacks on political opponents. He was basically giving us a Barack Obama speech where it all sounds very good. And there are all sorts of emotional trigger words. And he's giving the left everything they could ever want to hear. What a hero this man is. This is going to be a historic speech. And of course, he's had amazing reviews on his utterly unwatchable speech. It was absolutely terrible. And every minute that it kept going was a worse minute than the last one. But then McCarthy gets up there and he gave what I now believe to be a pure MAGA fire speech. If Donald Trump had said all the same words Kevin McCarthy said on Friday night, that was by this point, Saturday morning, finally elected After midnight, as 1-6 turned into 1-7, and really, it's too bad they couldn't have gotten it all done on 1-6. Maybe they should have scheduled the second part of the session after the afternoon adjournment for earlier, and then they could have all gotten it done on 1-6, but it just didn't work out that way. They scheduled it late at night, 10 p.m. So by the time Kevin McCarthy was elected speaker, it was already 1-7. Now, Kevin McCarthy gives a great speech. I'm going to play a little bit of it right here.
0: And now the hard work begins. What we do here today, next week, next month, next year, will set the tone for everything that follows. Tonight, I want to talk directly to the American people. As Speaker of the House... My ultimate responsibility is not to my party, my conference, or even our Congress. My responsibility, our responsibility, is to our country. Two months ago, you voted for a new direction for our country. You embraced our commitment to America. And now we're going to keep our commitment to you. It's a commitment for an economy that's strong, where you can fill up your tank of gas and feed your family, where paychecks grow and not shrink. It's a commitment for a nation that's safe, where communities are protected, law enforcement is respected, and criminals are prosecuted. for the future that's built on freedom where children come first and are taught to dream big because in America dreams can still come true a commitment for a government that is held accountable where Americans get the answers they want need and deserve our system is built on checks and balances it's time for us to be a check and provide some balance to the President's policies. There is nothing more important than making it possible for American families to live and enjoy the lives they deserve. That is why we commit to stop wasteful Washington spending, to lower the price of groceries gas, cars, housing, and stop the rising national debt. We pledge to cut the regulatory burden, lower energy costs for families and create good-paying jobs for workers by unleashing reliable, abundant, American-made energy. I know the night is late, but when we come back, our very first bill will repeal the funding for $87,000. Yeah. You see, we believe government should be to help you, not go after you. We're going to pass bills to fix the nation's urgent challenges, from wide open southern borders to American last energy policies to woke indoctrination in our schools. We'll also address America's long-term challenges, the debt, and the rise of the Chinese Communist Party. Congress must speak with one voice on both of these issues. This is why we will end wasteful Washington spending from now on. If a federal bureaucrat wants to spend it, they will come before us to defend it. As for the Chinese Communist Party, we will create a bipartisan select committee on China to investigate how to bring back the hundreds of thousands of jobs that went to China. And then we will win this economic
2: competition. Now, that's a whole lot of good stuff. And if it was Donald Trump that said all that stuff, we would all be on board. We would think that sounds like a great Trump speech. Those, for the most part, are Trump's words and Trump's ideas being put into practice by the new Speaker of the House. Now, you might say, are you saying to trust Kevin McCarthy? No. Once again, I'm not saying to trust anyone ever. But I am saying he's saying these things. Now, these are the expectations he must be watched and monitored to make sure these things happen. We know that we have allies in that Congress now who are willing to stand up. Matt Gates and the others went after Kevin McCarthy hard this week, and they went after him not only because of who he is and what he's done, But they went after him as an effigy of the entire establishment. They voiced the concerns the American people have with the establishment, with the corruption in our government. And Kevin McCarthy had to sit there silently and take it all, all week, all that incoming. Now, whether he deserved it or not is irrelevant. The point is, it's all been said. The American public now knows that they have to watch him because if that stuff is true, then he can't be trusted and he must be watched. That's how we're supposed to be about all the public officials. There's no way to keep the government in check. If the people aren't paying attention to what their representatives are doing. Now, again, part of that is a problem caused by the way our government has deteriorated over the years. When they, package all these things together in one bill and vote on that bill and it's 4,000 pages long and no one's read it. Well, how are the people going to hold anyone accountable for anything? Their congressman can tell them, oh, well, I really liked this thing. I knew that this thing needed to pass. And so that's why I voted for it. And all of those other bad things, well, you know, didn't read them. Naturally, this is one of the parts of the new rules package that they're going to have to be voting on single issues. So there's a lot of good stuff here. These are Trump agenda items. This is a specifically America first agenda if it holds up. The words are the words. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the future and whether or not they're going to live up to those words, but I can tell you that they're saying the right things. And if that agenda, as communicated to the American public, if these people are pressed to uphold that agenda, We are in a far, far, far better place than we were just days ago. It's also important to keep in mind that beyond Jim Jordan and Byron Donalds, no one else in the House had more than a handful of votes throughout the entire process. The entire time, there wasn't a single person who emerged as the new guy. Things headed a little in that direction. For a couple of those rounds when Byron Donald seemed like he was the new guy, oh, all the dissenter momentum is going to Byron Donald's. Maybe he'll attract a few other people in the Republican caucus. Maybe Byron Donalds'll be the guy that steps up. He's the new guy. And there was the Speaker Trump option. Matt Gates proposed it, and he was the sole member of Congress voting for Donald Trump. Every time he did it, at the end, it was Donald Trump. One, Donald Trump, one, Donald Trump, one, Donald Trump, one. You get it? So if this was a true takedown attempt for McCarthy, why didn't they consolidate behind one person? Why wasn't one person pushed to the fore? Why didn't they say to the American public, this right here is the guy we need. We're all getting behind this one person. That never happened throughout the entire week. Trump said McCarthy, the dissenters said anyone but McCarthy, and MAGA and Con Inc. kind of had it out all week about which direction this would go. Even parts of MAGA disagreed. Even parts of Badland Media disagreed. Kyle, just human, said all week, it's going to be McCarthy. It's going to be McCarthy. He was worried that all of this might be embarrassing, might hurt Trump. I didn't agree with any of that stuff. I said, I don't think it's going to be McCarthy. I do think we need someone else. I am not comfortable with Kevin McCarthy as part of the DC swamp. I want any option that will eliminate any part of the swamp as fast as possible. And hey, I told you I love chaos, so what else can I tell you? But I also argued that the process was going to be good. It's great that America's seeing all this. It's great. That these dissenters are going after the corruption in the establishment, even if it's only targeted at Kevin McCarthy. I was also very concerned about their leverage in their negotiations. I wanted them to extract as much for MAGA, as much for America first, as much for the American people as possible. And it seems that's exactly what they did. They did it to the point where Donald Trump, who wrote The Art of the Deal, said, take the win. We have negotiated ourselves into a win. We have enough of what we want that we can accept this outcome. This deal works. Let's get it done. So Kevin's the guy. It doesn't matter whether you trust him or not. You are not supposed to trust people you don't know. (laughs) In general, it's a bad idea to trust people you don't know. You're definitely not supposed to trust politicians particularly when they're not even elected in legitimate elections. So you don't have to trust him. You have to keep your eyes on the situation and you have to understand that if you do trust Donald Trump or at least trust him as much as you could ever trust any politician, he's saying this is the right thing. I personally think there is overwhelming reason to trust him, particularly with the way that night ended up. Let's remember what happened. At the end of the 14th round of voting, through the motion to adjourn, and then into the 15th round of voting. During that time, Gates and Boebert voted present. At the end of the 14th round, if one of them had voted for McCarthy instead of present, it would have been over. Both of them held their ground. That led to an altercation. Real, staged, I don't know. Mike Rogers was very mad. He had to be pulled away. Kevin McCarthy and Matt Gates were kind of shouting at one another. Gates was gesturing that he's not going to help. Go ahead and adjourn. Go ahead and call another vote. I don't care. I'm not budging. I'm voting present. I'm not changing it. Sorry. The process is going to continue. And then at the same time, while all this is playing out, Marjorie Taylor Greene gets her phone call from Donald J. Trump, shows it to Matt Rosendale. He declines the phone call with a hand all of this gets caught in a perfectly framed, perfectly composed photograph that tells the entire story in the picture. What happens if they used a picture where Matt Rosendale didn't have his hand up to Marjorie Taylor Green? Well, photographic proof of that part of the exchange wouldn't be communicated to people who saw that photograph. They would only see Marjorie Taylor Green holding up a phone that says DT on it. That is a different story. A picture is worth a thousand words, right? Well, a picture without certain elements is probably worth fewer words. Or hey, maybe it's worth more words. Maybe there is some great mystery about where the other elements went, and you have to write an epic poem about where those elements could have gone. So, what is it this MTG picture actually says? This picture says Donald Trump called said it was time to end this and the thing ended immediately the picture went viral because of matt rosendale's hand telling marjorie taylor green and indirectly telling president donald trump that he doesn't need or want to talk to the president but the virality of this photo is what makes it undeniable every american who sees this picture We'll know that Donald Trump called an end to this process. Donald Trump made the decision. He said, this is the round. That's enough. This is it. Matt Rosendale had his hand up. He didn't take the phone call, but still the next round, he voted present. So did Andy Biggs. So did Eli Crane. And so did Bob Good. They all got on that page. They all voted present. And lo and behold, Kevin McCarthy's the winner, right? As Donald Trump calls it, Donald Trump pulled the trigger. He said, this is it. That's done. And then it ended. Donald Trump was in control. I believe that Donald Trump was in control of this whole process. And I believe that a look at these events indicates pretty clearly that that is indeed the best and most accurate interpretation of exactly what happened Friday night. If someone doesn't believe that Donald Trump ended the vote when he chose to, all you need to do is show that person the picture of Marjorie Taylor Greene holding up the phone to show Rosendale, who's refusing the call. But nonetheless, after that moment, the next round, the voting ended. And let's also remind ourselves that the adjournment vote was going to be a yay. And then switch to a nay. Now, I don't know this to be true because I haven't tracked the names that go with the individual votes for that adjournment vote. I'm not even sure if I can find that, but I am going to try finding it. But it's worth at least thinking about who those Republicans were who went and switched their adjournment vote from yay to nay to keep the House in session and have that 15th vote to force that 15th vote. Are all those people MAGA? Because it looks like they did something based on the same command from Donald Trump that had the other four dissenters join Boebert and Gates in voting present, thus giving the race to Kevin McCarthy. I would guess that the entire MAGA contingent in the Republican caucus were the people who went over and switched their votes to nay at the end of that adjournment vote. So what does it mean that Donald Trump was fully in control of that process? Donald Trump himself was able to dictate the negotiations and end the process on his terms at a time of his choosing. That says a whole lot. And it ain't just about politics. Oh, Donald Trump still holds sway over the Republican Party. Yes, he does. Everyone knows he does. Why didn't he go after Gates? Why didn't he go after Good? All those dissenters are Donald Trump allies. Why didn't he go after any of them the entire week? They weren't doing what he said to do. Was he just being nice to them because they're his friends? Or was there something bigger going on? And let's just leave open the possibility that there was something extra going on. We do not need to see everything only at face value. We don't need to take... The surface understanding that you might get from reading some articles by a bunch of normies in Con Inc. or the establishment. And we certainly don't need the surface understanding after it's gone through the inversion within the false reality that we are given by the mainstream media. So let's listen to another part of Kevin McCarthy's speech. I suggest you go check it out yourself and listen to the whole thing. I'm looking at ABC News' version of this speech up on YouTube, and at the timestamp 1745, this part of the speech begins.
0: I want you to see another portrait. My members know of this. It's of Washington crossing the Delaware. You all know the story. It happened on Christmas, 1776. There was no iPhone to take a picture. People wonder when it was painted. It wasn't painted by someone who was there. It was painted in 1850 and 1851. He was an immigrant who lived in America, Emanuel Lentz. You know why he painted it? Because he knew America was more than a country. America was an idea. He went home. To Germany. And he wanted Germany to have a revolution based upon the values and freedoms that we defend every day. His talent was art. So he believed if he painted this painting he could inspire his countrymen to rise up for the idea of freedom. So well, many historians will tell you he didn't get it correct. They'll tell you Washington crossed on a Durham boat, but he paints it with Washington in a rowboat. You see 13 people, but only 12 faces. You see Washington standing up in a rowboat in the middle of winter, wearing a ceremonial uniform with his hand on his chest. He looks so stoic. You would look at that man, you'd say, I follow him anywhere. You probably believe that he never lost a battle. But history would tell us at that moment, at that time, he had only lost. We had never won. You see, that was the night of our first victory as a nation when we surprised the Hessians. But when you look at that painting, don't look at Washington. I want you to look at who's in the boat. You see, the second rower in the beret, he's Scottish. The person directly across from him in the green, rowing in the exact same cadence, is an African American. You come down right to the middle, in the red, the person who's rowing the strongest is a woman. And in the very back is a Native American. I don't know from a historic fact if they were in the boat that night, but to this young immigrant who had lived in America, that's who he believed would be in the boat. The second to last person is a farmer. He could be from Bakersfield, I'm not sure. His hand goes across his face. People will debate this part. But what I see is a hand of the 13th person nobody sees. You see, what I believe Emmanuel is saying is here we are. Battling for the creation of the idea of freedom. That every individual is equal. Not a perfect nation, but striving to be a more perfect union. Having lost every battle against the greatest challenge with the strongest nation. Having lost them all, but willing to do it on our holiest of nights. With a hand reached out and asking if you would join us. That's as true today as it was then. If we let everybody in the boat, if we row in the same cadence together, there is no obstacle this body can overcome for this nation.
2: So Kevin McCarthy includes in his speech a story about the painting of Washington crossing the Delaware, and he mentions the Durham boat. Now, that painting not only featured in an Elon Musk tweet from a few weeks ago, it also immediately recalls a fairly prominent Q post. And so here's where we may embrace the more esoteric elements And I hope that you'll bear with me for a few minutes. We discussed some of this on the live stream the other night and people in the chat had a freak out because people see the Q stuff and they immediately recoil. They are told that stuff is for stupid people. That stuff is for evil people. And of course, they've been able to erect a hate movement around this because anything bad is QAnon and QAnon is anything bad. Anti-vaxxers are QAnon science deniers, are QAnon. We've discussed this before. If you want to know my feelings about all of the Q stuff, I have written about 25,000 words on the subject. They are on the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. Across the top of the screen, you can see where it says a story about reality. They are all in there. I've also recorded podcast versions of each one of those essays, and you can go listen to them if you like. But the short version is, Q is information, among other information. The information exists. It undeniably exists. Q posts, regardless of their validity or relevance, are absolutely real and people have read them. Millions of people in this country, millions and millions more around the world. I don't know how many millions of people around the world have followed Q or have been curious in Q and bothered to look, but there are a lot of them. Those people are real. In the Q posts, if absolutely nothing else, you still see references to issue after issue after issue, topic after topic after topic, that you can go research and learn about for yourself. And those issues relate not only to America's past, but to America's present and the key issues we deal with in our politics. All of the stuff that floats beneath the surface. All of the corruption, all of the compromise, the key players and all that, and their dealings around the world, that stuff can be found in the Q posts. You don't have to believe anything at all to understand that this information is worth researching on your own. You can leave the Q stuff aside and just take a list of the different topics and the different people and research that stuff using open source intelligence. Stuff you can find that is available to everyone else. And if you learn about all of those topics, you will have a much better understanding of what's happening in the world right now. Because the issues that are brought up in the Q posts are actual, relevant, important issues in society. They are worth knowing about. You do not need Q posts to learn about them. But it's a good thing those Q posts exist because they gave targets To millions of independent researchers, brilliant people from all walks of life who spent the time researching all of this stuff and then compiling what they found in an anonymous message board where that information could be vetted and passed along. People could add on to it. People could dispute parts of it. And over time, that information becomes refined where it's more reliable. And then the information spreads beyond the Q community and beyond other truth communities. Other truth communities operate in the same way. The broader truth community operates in the same way. But the Q community in particular, the Anons out there, are a very important part of this. They are the roots of this information. They are what feed that information in to the broader truth community. And once that information is further vetted and further understood and spread out even wider it begins infiltrating the mainstream. I've talked about the information stream a number of times. There is no actual QAnon conspiracy theory. There are just people with their own theories, and those theories don't always match up. There is never going to be total agreement on anything, and there is no organization. This is a totally decentralized mass of people. So without even a consensus understanding and agreement on what all of this is, There's no possible way to form one coherent conspiracy theory that everyone gets on board with. That's not what it means to follow Q. It's not what it means to understand the importance of Q posts, because regardless of any of your beliefs, those Q posts pointed people to information that they then researched and spread. And now we know infinitely more about our world than we did A few short years ago, that is a product of the Q information phenomenon. It Doesn't matter where you get information. It only matters whether or not the information is useful, whether or not the information maps onto reality and helps you better understand the world in a holistic way. So in terms of usefulness and in terms of whether something helps or hinders the great awakening, Q is actually very useful, which makes it very relevant. It's certainly far more useful than anything you could ever imagine seeing from the mainstream media and people have no problem with paying attention to that. People still get their information from that and they are still considered to be part of polite society. But if you get information from QAnon, oh, you're an evil, evil person. Well, hey, the mainstream media has spun conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory for decades now. They make up stories totally out of nothing, and they hold on to those stories for decades. Their misinformation, their disinformation, their malinformation that they propagate intentionally to achieve their own political goals actually is highly dangerous. It has put our society to sleep. It has thoroughly detached people from reality, and it has allowed our country to get to the place it's at. If the comparison is only between Q and the mainstream media, for which is the more dangerous spreader of disinformation and conspiracy theories, it is absolutely undeniable that the mainstream media is far, far worse. So why are people taken seriously by the general public when they get their information from the mainstream media, while anybody who can even be... Plausibly labeled QAnon anything to do with Q, any connection whatsoever, even saying you think the vaccine is dangerous. Oh, you're QAnon. Why are those the evil conspiracy theorists? Why are those the dangerous people? And of course, there's no reason there whatsoever. It is just a hate movement. They've presented a boogeyman, the QAnon boogeyman. It exists so that everything can be tied to that. And the media and others have been very consistent in making sure that they continue that operation, that they continue to push the idea of Q and anyone attached to it, anyone that even expresses curiosity to the fringes. And people might say, well, Q is a PSYOP, which means that anyone who believes in Q has fallen victim to the PSYOP. As if Q followers are unaware that Q is a PSYOP. It is a PSYOP. It is undeniably a PSYOP. Also, what the mainstream media does is undeniably a PSYOP. But the result of Q is a mass awakening and a wide cultural understanding of the predicament we are in as a result of the infiltration of our government, all the corruption, all the compromise. The infiltration of the regime throughout society, including and especially in our mainstream media, who is actually running a PSYOP. One of those PSYOPs has produced incredible results that lead people to their own personal awakenings. And for many of them, awakenings to God. Q is leading people to God ultimately. And all you have to do is know people in that movement who weren't faithful before and are now to understand that that's true. The mainstream media leads people in the opposite direction. They lead people toward a false reality. And by the way, toward worship of an authoritative source that passes down all knowledge and understanding from on high. Now, I don't want to belabor this. If you want to know more about this thought process and what I think of Q again, Go to the Substack. You can read or listen to all of it there. So keep all that in mind and let's circle back to what happened Friday night. MTG posted a perfect phone call. That's how she captioned the picture of her with that phone. Now, a perfect phone call was the phrase that Donald Trump has used multiple times. You remember the Ukraine impeachment hoax? You remember his phone call with Georgia officials about election fraud. Both of them, perfect phone calls. Marjorie Taylor Greene also gets a perfect phone call, and that phone call decides immediately who the Speaker of the House is and which round the Speaker will be elected in. Kevin McCarthy won his Speakership in the 15th round of voting on 1-7, January seven. After a late start, after an attempt to adjourn, after arguments, after a brief physical altercation, Kevin McCarthy wins in the earliest of early morning hours, technically, on 1-7. Now, if you know anything about Q and the way Q posts are interpreted, one of the things people focus on is what's called a delta. Delta is the change in time from one post till now, from one thing to another. So on January 7th, the deltas for that day are the posts from January 7th, 2018, 2019, 2020. There were no posts over that period in 2021 or, of course, in 2022. But it just so happens that on January 7th, 2018, This is four years ago. Q post 497 reads good win, win, when 15 and that's it. Now, if you think that's not amazing, I don't know what to tell you. If you think that's not amazing, you probably don't know anything about Q, which is totally fine. No one has to go look at things they don't want to look at. But if you understand how Q works, and if you understand that there are an enormous number of Q proofs, which include interactions between people around Trump, occasionally Trump himself, and the Q community, the followers of Q and the people around that. There is an interaction that you can see in the posts and in the communications on the boards that the posts interact with. There is a reason why the media and the establishment and the regime are so concerned about the Q stuff and make such a big deal out of it. It's because it's relevant and it's because of those interactions. They have tried to ask Donald Trump before what he knows about it. And he always gives supportive or evasive answers. You might remember, I think it was Savannah Guthrie interviewing Donald Trump on the night that was supposed to be the second Trump Biden debate, but that they canceled, of course, because COVID and not because Biden can't debate. She basically didn't believe Donald Trump when he said he doesn't really know anything about it. And hey, maybe she's right. But here's the thing. We're talking about an exact four-year delta, four years to the day since this post came out. Good win. Win when? 15. What's Trump's rationale for ending? the speaker voting process. Well, we got everything we want. We are going to take the win. This is a good win. When should this happen? Well, how about the 15th round? Interesting, isn't it? And why did it go 15 rounds? Matt Gates voted present. Lauren Boebert voted present. There were four dissenters who held out. Kevin McCarthy needed one vote and couldn't get it. Not from any of them. And then with nothing happening other than these people receiving the influence of Donald Trump, they all voted present in the next round. There was no more negotiation. They didn't win anything in that process. They could have finished it in the 14th round with absolutely nothing being different, but still it got pushed into a 15th round and it got pushed into the 15th round on 1-7 because people switched their vote at the end to stay in session rather than adjourning. Now, if you think that's nothing, fine, okay? I don't see how you can possibly look at the world that way, understanding the level of control that was made obvious here by the picture of Marjorie Taylor Greene and everything else that happened that night. And if Donald Trump is in control of that moment— And in control of the negotiations and deciding when those negotiations should end, it starts seeming like Donald Trump was in control the entire time. And if he was in control the entire time and he got the guy he wanted, why did he allow the process to play out? Well, the establishment was publicly shamed. We saw exactly who the Republican Party establishment is and who the Democrats are, what their priorities are. The way they speak to the American people, the lies they are willing to tell, all of that was made possible by the process. Kevin McCarthy got beat up all week. And hey, maybe he deserves it. I don't know Kevin McCarthy personally. I know his history and how it relates to the exact kind of corruption that we are trying to rid this country of. But after what we witnessed Friday night, I'm inclined to give the guy a chance. Keep an eye on him. Keep an eye on him all the time, but give him a chance. It looks an awful lot to me like all of this happened by design. Marjorie Taylor Greene got beat up all week as well. People said some really horrible things about her and many of her colleagues that we have believed for a long time to be full on MAGA who did not join the dissenters. They kept voting for McCarthy. They began seeming very establishment. Again, this is why I want to know who switched their vote in order to stay in session on Friday night. But this entire thing looks like it was pulled off by design. So let's get some of the reaction so we can see how both sides are taking all of this. Representative Kevin Hearn, a man who received a whole bunch of votes for Speaker of the House, but never voted for himself and never gained any momentum. His national profile certainly was raised, though. We're going to have to keep an eye on him, too. He wrote on Twitter, the end result of this week is a substantial change to the way the House operates." Change that was desperately needed to empower all members, not just a select few. Lauren Boebert said, It's been a long week in D.C., and the pressure has been intense, but it had to be done. The 118th Congress will be one that does the business of the American people, not the special interests and the lobbyists. Marjorie Taylor Greene's Post, again, it was the perfect phone call, and she tagged Donald Trump in it. Boebert also released, A statement. Here's the statement House conservatives delivered a major victory for the American people by fundamentally changing the way Congress will operate. We changed the way bills will be passed. We changed the way government will be funded. We changed the way committees will be formed. We secured votes on term limits, the fair tax, the Texas border plan, and so much more. Here's what I hope America saw this week. The first one has nothing to do with politics, it's this a few voices can make a big difference. This isn't about politics. If you're a mom or a student, a truck driver or a server, if you believe in something and will stand by that belief, you can make meaningful change Two, Congress has been broken from the way we spend money to the way Pelosi consolidated power to the speakership. It's broken and House conservatives are working to fix it. Three, it's better to get things right than to get them quickly Four, when Congress actually functions as intended. When we're all on the floor, debating a path forward, the result is far better for the American people than when governing is done behind closed doors. This past week, we all delivered on the promises we made to our constituents. They told us Congress is broken and we promised to work on fixing it. We've done just that. But we've got more to deliver on. We will work to close the southern border, increase domestic energy production, lower government spending curb inflation, and so much more from the speaker's office to my more moderate colleagues, even those I've exchanged some tough words with. We will all work together to deliver conservative solutions on these issues for the American people. I want to close by responding to one criticism that has been cast on what took place this week. Joe Biden has said this has been embarrassing for Republicans. How sad is it that us governing as the founders intended looks embarrassing to Democrats. It should look like the norm. I'll tell you what's embarrassing. 40-year high inflation is embarrassing. Five million illegals crossing our southern border is embarrassing. Surrendering to ISIS and fleeing Afghanistan is embarrassing. Having a president that can't finish his sentences is embarrassing. But fighting to fix Congress, that's doing exactly what we promised. Now, that is a very strong statement it doesn't seem like Lauren Boebert believes that the dissenters lost this week. The dissenters won big. The dissenters won big on behalf of America First and MAGA and the American people, and Donald Trump controlled that process. And Donald Trump, of course, weighed in himself. The speaker selection process, as crazy as it may seem, has made it All much bigger and more important than if done the more conventional way. Congratulations to Kevin McCarthy and our great Republican Party. He also wrote in the morning on Saturday, the Republican Party really came together last night. It was in so many ways a beautiful thing to see historic. So people who we have believed for a long time to be fully on our side, including President Trump, are happy with how this turned out. But I know, I know, Kevin McCarthy is a bad guy, and now we have a bad guy as Speaker of the House, and that's all that matters. Kevin McCarthy is just gonna turn around and screw Donald Trump, and screw the American people, and screw America first. But I don't think that's how it is. And upon seeing all of this develop and thinking about it on Friday night, and then, my friends, I'm sorry. But seeing that cue post, that perfect delta, the sort of thing that doesn't really just happen as a coincidence, particularly not with the level of control we saw exerted, including about changing the timeline from when Kevin McCarthy would become speaker from 1-6 to 1-7. That made me think, well, what would confirm this on Kevin McCarthy's side? even beyond the mention of the Durham boat and the picture of Washington crossing the Delaware in his speech. And so I posted late at night on Friday, technically early Saturday on Truth Social that we could expect to see Kevin McCarthy come out and thank Donald Trump for everything he did to make this possible. And what did Kevin McCarthy do? He went out and spoke to reporters and here's what he said.
0: But I do want to especially thank uh, President Trump. I don't think anybody should doubt his influence. He was with me from the beginning. Somebody wrote the doubt of whether he was there and he was all in. He would call me and he would call others. And uh, he really was, I was just talking to him tonight, um, helping get those final votes. What he's really saying really for the party and the country that we have to come together we have to focus on the economy. We've got to focus, make our borders secure. We've got to do so much work to do. And he was a great influence to make that all happen. So thank you, President Trump.
2: So he wants to thank President Trump for his influence in the process. He didn't say former President Trump. He said President Trump. And he thanked him multiple times in that 39 second clip. President Trump got that done. For Kevin McCarthy, the number of goals achieved this week is extraordinary. The House may well, and we have yet to see, but the House may well be returned to the state it is supposed to be in, the way it was designed by the founders to work. If that happens, if we inch back closer to our constitutional republic, if the House of Representatives has been reclaimed from the regime. That is a massive, massive accomplishment. And the rules changes are what allow that to happen. We also got the public spectacle of the Congress actually being in session and people having to stand up for their viewpoints. The Democrats didn't get Hakeem Jeffries. Donald Trump isn't embarrassed. This wasn't a blow to Donald Trump as Julian Zelizer tried to convince us in CNN this week. It was a huge success for Trump. It was a huge success for the American people. It's a huge success for the Constitution and the Congress. Public corruption was exposed. The corruption of Congress was exposed on a massive stage through the four day public shaming of Kevin McCarthy, which he took silently as the process evolved and then turned from all of that, left all that aside and gave a very powerful America first speech that, sorry again, exactly references a prominent Q post. The interplay between all of these undeniable facts drawn from reality is pretty powerful. I can't convince you that my interpretation is correct. You're going to have to decide that for yourself. But what else could all of this mean? Was it all a coincidence after the process had wound down on Friday night? The next post by Rick Grinnell, the next tweet by Rick Grinnell was simply Donald Trump still runs the Republican Party. Is he joking, too? We got a whole bunch of new MAGA heroes this week, by the way. We learned a lot about people we didn't know very much about, like Matt Rosendale and Andy Harris and Andy Ogles and Scott Perry. Did you know a lot about them before this week? These dissenters did heroic work. And if this situation was as orchestrated by Donald Trump as I believe it to be, that means that a whole bunch of other America first Republicans did their jobs perfectly as well, including people like Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and maybe even Kevin McCarthy. But how did the communists take it? Eric Swalwell tweeted, two years ago, insurrectionists failed to take over the Capitol. Tonight, Kevin McCarthy let them take over the Republican Party. Well, he doesn't sound very happy. What about Ilhan Omar? Here's a tweet from her. Friday afternoon, she wrote, McCarthy just agreed to a deal with far-right insurrectionists that would hold the entire U.S. and global economy hostage to extreme cuts to everything from housing to education, health care, social security, and Medicare. Hard to overstate how dangerous this is. Isn't that amazing? If the people vote in a new Congress, that Congress is not allowed, in Ilhan Omar's mind, to make changes to the programs Ilhan Omar supports. It can only be one thing, the regime pushing the communist agenda forward all the time. Well, that agenda is not going to move forward anymore, and these people seem to understand that in a very real way. Adam Schiff said, Looks like Kevin McCarthy conceded all the power of his office to the crazies to finally get their votes. He had to give away the House to do it, and that was a sacrifice he was willing to make for the title. He will be a speaker in name only. So Adam Schiff is freaking out as Adam Schiff is prone to do. He sounds like he believes he personally and his cause have lost a great deal this week. They're not celebrating. And he had to give away the house? Well, give it away to who? The people who were elected to do what they just did? Is that the problem? Or is he meaning something else by saying that Kevin McCarthy has given away the house? Was it Kevin McCarthy's house to give away? Whose house was it to give away that Adam Schiff is concerned about? Who owned the house before late Friday night? Well, you could certainly argue that the global regime owned quite a big part of it. And how is this for an interesting response to cap off this entire event? Well, this is from Lieutenant General Michael Flynn at Jen Flynn on Twitter. Oh, that's right. Michael Flynn, a man who is widely rumored and somewhat widely believed to be involved in that Q operation. He just got put back on Twitter on Friday, January 6th. He wrote, sorry, rep Adam Schiff. This is how democracy in a constitutional Republic is supposed to work for we, the people. You sound like someone who is worried. Don't have access to Twitter. Like the good old days. Accountability is coming. So, Hey, Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist. Maybe I have simply lost my marbles. And all of this is nonsense. All that exists is the surface interpretation. And we can listen to the people on Fox and CNN and MSNBC and politicians who are representatives of the regime like Adam Schiff. We can just take their version of events and interpret everything through that lens. Did they get it right? Well, what have they been right about in years? Basically nothing. The media is always wrong intentionally. Adam Schiff is always lying because Adam Schiff is a liar. And if you don't want to go down the Q road at all, you don't have to. Because Marjorie Taylor Greene's picture with Donald Trump on the phone, ending that process at a moment of his choosing and taking the win, the good win that he believes America first just achieved, that should be enough to prove to you that Donald Trump is in control of this process. He is in control of the Republican caucus in the House. What does that mean? Does that mean that Donald Trump is some weak candidate who might be defeated in a primary by Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Mike Pence? Who could possibly believe that? Donald Trump is by far the most powerful force in American politics. He is the most powerful force in the Republican Party. Rick Grinnell is exactly right when he says that Donald Trump still runs the Republican Party. Donald Trump is dictating what is happening. He sounds presidential, he sounds authoritative, he sounds completely in control, and he's also still happy and confident and making jokes and going after people. He seems like he's having a great time. So you don't need Q to get to any of those places. But if you can see all that and then see something that seems so impossible that it could not be merely a result of coincidence, maybe it's time to expand your thinking. And while we're on the topic, I will leave you with one more Q post. That is another perfect delta. 417, also from 2018. It's post number 492. It reads, We will never lose again when this is finished. And I gotta say, I think that 17th letter of the alphabet just might be right. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work.
3: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
2: In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that